Scripture reading will be taken from Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, uh, verses 15 and 17, and 20 and 21. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance perseverance character and character hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us verse 15 but the gift is not like the trespass for if the many died by the trespass of the one man how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed, by sin, followed one sin and brought condemnation, and the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. Verse 17. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through the one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased also the more, so that just as, a sin, so, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Good evening. What you think about when you were little and someone would ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? Do you have a good answer for that? We were asked that a lot, weren't we? I wonder how many of you are doing now what you said you wanted to be when you grew up? Anybody? Is there one? I see one, two, see a few. I was thinking about that because I thought, you know, I'm not convinced we have the best system that helps young people know what they want to be. You know, when you turn 18, you graduate from high school, you either get a job or maybe go to job training or, or go to higher education so that you can get a job. And that's a lot of pressure on an 18-year-old, you know, to know what you want to do for the rest of your life. Whether your job requires you to wear a suit and tie, or scrubs, or maybe a uniform, or a hard hat, work is a monumental decision. Studies show that we will spend nearly as many hours working as you will sleeping through the course of a week. More than that, we spend many more hours in a week at work than we spend non-sleeping at home. Last year, the average work week, and guess how long? How many hours? The average work week last year was 47 hours a week. For salaried employees, it was 400, no, it was 49. <clears throat> That's a lot of hours. We're continuing our study in the book of Proverbs, and we want to see what the, this wonderful book says about our job. So open your Bibles to Proverbs 14 is where we're going to begin you want to flip through as we read through the different Proverbs, there'll be a couple of other verses, they'll be on the screen, but the Proverbs are going to be out of your own Bible, so I encourage you to open your Bible and follow along. 
When you think about your job, so many things come to mind. Sometimes your jobs are demanding, even draining. Others have jobs that are invigorating and, and, and fulfilling, and it's a good match for you. And you may think that as a Christian, God is not really interested in your time at work, but really just your time with family and your time at church. But I don't think that's true. That when you read in Scripture, we realize God is very interested in what you do at work and how you live. Look at Proverbs fourteen twenty three. All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. See, once you see your job as God sees it, you have a new respect for the importance of your task and the emphasis of the way you live your life, the way you make your decision. So just to begin with, I want us all to understand this. When you are on the clock at work, when you're on the clock at work, you're still on the clock with God. But you're never off the clock with God. So I want you to compartmentalize or segment your life and think about your spiritual life continues even at work. A.W. Tozer said it like this, It's not what a man does that determines whether or not his work is sacred or secular, but why he does it. So it's not so much the what, it's the why. What's our motive behind our jobs? If our motives, they help us in how we interact with people and our employer and our employees and our customers and just, just the folks that God puts in our path. You know, Proverbs has a great deal to say about business uh, and about just, just work all the way through it. I want to begin by just sharing two false equations. And I want to make sure you hear the word false because it's so easy to believe that they're true because it seems to be everywhere and we can just t- take it in. The first one is this, money plus position equals successful career. Money plus position equals successful career. But we know success, true success, is not measured by numbers. It's like a salt water that never quenches. Flip a few chapters over to chapter 23, Proverbs 23. Look at verse 4 and 5. I'll give you just a moment to get there. I love this passage. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. We've all experienced that, haven't we? I mean, you think you want something, you, you, you thought you had it, and all of a sudden, it's gone. Solomon says, your net worth need not determine your self-worth. You don't find your security in possessions and stuff. But we tend to do just that. And we measure other people's worth by their possessions and their position and how they are successful in life. As kids, we grew up, and you've heard this statement before, whoever has the most toys wins. But we don't just grow out of that when we stop being a child. We just change our toys and our stuff. So we begin to get our jobs purely as a means to make money so we can buy more things and have more stuff. Let me just share this. New York, New York Times Magazine talked about the, the self-storage phenomenon that is just booming in our country. Here are some of the facts it shared. I want to share the whole article with you, but it said the United States has 2.3 billion square feet of self-storage space. 
I'm sharing all this to talk about how much stuff we've got, people. We've got stuff. One out of every ten households in the country rents a unit. Isn't that something? Storage units were meant to be transitional. Places to keep belongings while moving, marrying, divorcing, dealing with a death in a family. But 50% of Americans who use them now are simply using them as a place to store extra stuff. Get this. Even though the average home size has nearly doubled. So our houses are twice as big and they're still not big enough for all of our stuff. I'll skip over a little bit, but it, it shared, well, the one, one, I thought this was interesting. The, the United States has upward of 51,000 storage facilities, more than seven times the number of Starbucks. And you thought they were everywhere. Derek Taylor is the president of a consultant group, Storage Marketing Solution. Listen to what he says. This is the industry relies on sloth to keep them full. Just quoting him, human laziness has always been a big friend of self-storage operators because once they're in, nobody likes to spend all day moving their stuff out of storage. As long as they can afford it and feel psychologically like, like they can afford it, they'll leave the stuff in there forever. You ever dropped a piece of paper on a windy day and you reach down to pick it up and the wind grabs it and it's just out of reach and so you take a couple of steps and you reach down to grab it again and, and the wind flips it away and it's out of reach and you both get irritated and it's kind of humorous at the same time and, and you, you, you find yourself feeling like a fool chasing this piece of paper and hoping nobody's watching you. And we've all done that, you know. It's just like chasing the wind and, and you just, you just want, to, want to get it. And I was thinking about a beach ball and I thought, I've never seen a beach ball at the beach. Have you? Uh, there's a good reason for that. I think they took it once and named it and the wind took it away. You know, it's like, it's like chasing a beach ball, chasing a piece of paper. That's the way Solomon, I think, is teaching here about trying to go after riches. We've all seen people like that. Maybe we've seen ourselves like that. We run and run after all these things. So it's not just our co-workers. It's not just our friends. It's not just our family. It's you. It's me. We can get caught in this as well. There's this hunger for position and for money and for stuff. In fact, if you don't, you're considered odd. And people wonder if you're okay. Now, the truth is, there's nothing wrong with pursuing advancement. There's nothing wrong with wanting to make more money this year than you made last year, as long as those pursuits are in second to your allegiance to Christ. You know, Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs, but he also wrote Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes 4.4, 4, he says this, And I saw that all labor and all achievement spring from man's envy of his neighbor. We have a saying for that, don't we? Keeping up with the Joneses. It all springs from a man's envy of his neighbor. This too is meaningless. A chasing after the wind. It's going after that piece of paper. It's chasing the beach ball. Then in verse 8. There's no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked. And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless. A miserable business. See, for the person who puts success instead of significance as your reason, 
When you put that on the pedestal, it, it starts to affect your everyday choice, the way you live your life. It's a very dangerous spiral. See, here's the problem with that beach ball mentality or chasing after that piece of paper. It's an empty pursuit of an uninvited guest, like a tornado or a fire, knocks at your door, your world is turned upside down. And not just because your stuff is gone, it's because that's where you find your identity. That's where you find your hope. And all it takes is that natural disaster and it just changes your sense of self-worth. Larry Burkett said this, we are so caught up in making more money and buying bigger things that we've lost most of the thrust to reach the unsaved world. Is he right? The more loosely you hold on to things of this world, the less it controls us, the less it influences us. And when generosity flows, it's difficult for selfishness to take root. Let me ask you something. Do you know what all these people had in common? William Colgate of Colmate, Colgate Palmolive. William Proctor of Proctor and Gamble. Wallace Johnson of Holiday Inn. Robert Welch of Welch's Grape Juice. Unless you think they all start with W. J.D. Rockefeller Sr. of Standard Oil Company. And J.C. Penney. Do you know what all these people had in common? Everyone talked about their faith and said that from a child, they gave 10% of everything they ever received to the Lord. All the way through their life, gave it back to God. A number of years ago, there's a young man in Chicago who failed several attempts at a successful business. It was not going well. And he realized that through his desire for work and to get ahead and to get his business working, he had ignored God through it all. He was not giving God first fruits. And so he prayed to God and he determined he was going to turn his business around. And he promised to give from that day forward 25% of all that he made. The man's name was J.L. Kraft. Had a small cheese company. You ever heard of it? Kraft said this at the end of his life, the only investment I ever made which has paid consistently increasing dividends is the money I have given to the Lord. See, understand this. Maybe the most significance you will gain from work is not your retirement party or your retirement fund, but instead, maybe you're gaining from your work through your paycheck the opportunity to give to someone else that you've been blessed to bless. The money you make is for someone else. Maybe it's for a missionary. Maybe it's for a youth organization. Maybe it's just for some group that's kind of been forgotten. Maybe it's a single mom and you realize my work is not just my work. It's not just a job. It's not just for me. It's an opportunity to do ministry in some way. See, Proverbs encourages us to make a fair profit. We just read a verse about that in verse 14. Look back in chapter 11, verse 24 and 25 says this, one person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. 
Deuteronomy 14.23, in the Living Bible paraphrase, it says, the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your life. It's a test. Just to determine if your money is where your mouth is. Well, here's the, the second false equation I want to remind you of, and that is successful career equals a satisfied life. A successful career equals a satisfied life. That's false. Not necessarily true. But our society seems to have a measuring rod that is more earthly than heavenly. And that influences us. It rubs off on us. Chuck Swindoll said this, The only trouble with success is that the formula for achieving it is the same formula for a nervous breakdown. And I think he's right. See, in the book of Proverbs, Solomon speaks of the ideal. And so that's why it's good for us to read the book of Proverbs but in Ecclesiastes, it's more of a confessional. It's more of a, let me tell you how I did and how I blew it even at times. Ecclesiastes 2.11, he says, Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had told to achieve, in other words, all of his work, all that he had done, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. Solomon had chased after that beach ball after that piece of paper, and never found it, when he finally called up with it, what he realized, it really wasn't worth having. And wonder why did he spend all of his life chasing after that? See, Proverbs gives us a hint at what true success is. Flip over to chapter 22. Look at verse 1. Proverbs 22, verse 1. A good name is to be more desired than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. See, it's service, not success, that makes you significant. When's the last time you did something for someone who couldn't pay you back? True service. See, every day when you go to work, your job provides you an opportunity, a platform to do ministry for the Lord. And it may not be on the job. It may be with the money that you get paid with your job. Or it may be there at the job. You have a, an amazing opportunity to be a witness about what it means to be a person of integrity. A person who's following after the Lord. Especially if they're investigating Christianity. Or you could be a terrible witness. If they see in you a barrier, a sour attitude, a complaining spirit, a poor work ethic... Have you been divisive in the workplace? They're not going to hear anything you say about Jesus. I know you can think, well, not my work. You should see what my setting is like. I don't know what your setting is like. Maybe you work for a slave driver. But listen to what Paul said. And he wrote these words at the time when slavery was taking place. Colossians 3, 22 and following. Slaves obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eyes on you, and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. That's the crux of the matter. That job that God has blessed you with gives you the opportunity to begin to see not an earthly boss, but your heavenly boss. To see a master to whom you are totally sold out, it just happens to be that you also have this job, this place of employment. 
And I think that just obliterates this myth of a successful career equals a satisfying life because you're serving an audience of one. He's the one that you're devoted to. And all these other people, they're just, they're just onlookers, really. A number of years ago, Gallup did a, a survey. 186,000 people were asked, and they determined that only 20% of Americans on the job utilize even one of their top five gifts. 20% of Americans are in a job which utilize even one of their top five gifts or talents. When I read that, I thought, that's the answer to why there's so much frustration in the workplace. 80% of the workforce is in a capacity that they're not well suited for. It's just a job. It's just a paycheck. They really are just clocking in and, and clocking out. And they experience a high level of frustration. They're truly working for the weekend, trying to get out of there. But what if you were to change your attitude and see your work as a part of your mission? So when you go to your job, to see that as your mission point. And you pray to God, this is my place. This is where you sent me. This is where you placed me. Bob Shank says it like this, career is what you're paid for, but a calling is what you're made for. What were you made for? So the answer is not to be a fireman or to be a teacher or whatever your occupation is. You were made to bring glory to your God wherever you are and whatever you do. And make sure it happens at work. Well, there's a couple of equations. Let me share three principles, kind of wrap up kind of quickly. The first work principle is this. Work is a blessing from God, not a curse. It's good for us to, to know that because sometimes we can so easily talk disparagingly about work. Hate it. Don't want to go. Can't wait to be off. And we get confused, I think, because after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, the Lord said in Genesis 3, verse 17 through 19, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. You will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Now notice, the curse was not just on work, it was on yard work. Right? Isn't that what he said? That really wasn't what he said. But note here what he is saying. Work is not a part of the penalty that God gave after the fall. We know that because there was work being done. They had a job to do. and It was given to them before the fall. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, before the sin, they had a job. God created us that way. So to work is a good thing. The Apostle Paul shares some strong words to Christians about work. 2 Thessalonians 3.10, it says, If a man will not work, he should not eat. It's pretty point blank. 1 Timothy 5.8, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So work is a good thing. Work is of God. Here's the second principle. Laziness and dishonesty are despised by the Lord and usually lead to poverty. Proverbs 26, 14. It says, As the door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. 
The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He's too lazy to bring it back up to his mouth. Throughout the book of Proverbs, the lazy person is called a sluggard. And we may not use that, that word in our everyday language, but we get the picture of what he's describing here. And we know people like this. Constantly complaining, making excuses, passing the, the buck, blaming someone else. It's never their fault. Always somebody else's fault. Not only does laziness lead to financial problems, but so does dishonesty. And isn't it frustrating when you see someone cheat or being dishonest and they make the sale and they seem to flourish and do well? I think at times like that we need to step back and just remember the big picture. It may be that God will eventually humble them here on earth or it may wait till eternity. Proverbs 13, 11 says, Dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers little by little makes it grow. You read through the book of Proverbs, and the message you take away is, be honest. Be hardworking. You be faithful to God, and He'll take care of your needs. Well, here's the third one. Work is pleasing to the Lord and is eventually rewarded. And that's a true statement. It may be rewarded soon. It may be in the long run. It may be in eternity when we're in heaven. Proverbs twelve eleven says, He who works his land will have abundant food, but he who chases fantasies lacks judgment. And we see people do this all the time. They squander their hard-earned dollars in search of some fantasy. Maybe they gamble it on the track, or maybe they, they spend it on the lottery, or maybe it's some get-rich-quick scheme, and there's a lot of them. I think at the root of some of that at times is that we don't want to earn it. We don't want to work for it. We want it quickly. I think that's what the Proverbs is getting at here. How you go about it. Proverbs says it's about wise, prudent behavior. And leading the way in all of that is generosity. Turn to Proverbs 21. I want us to see three different Proverbs starting in verse 21. 21 verse 5, I think this is a good one when we're thinking about maybe planning a family budget or doing some strategic planning at work or maybe working on your schedule. Proverbs 21 verse 5, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. He's commending hard work and hard work is part of planning. Then turn the page over to Proverbs 22 verse 29. 22, verse 29. Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will serve before kings. He will not serve before obscure men. And then turn a few more pages over chapter 27. Proverbs 27, verse 23. This is a good verse for us to remember when you're trying to stay on top of your financial situation. Proverbs 27, 23. Be sure you know the condition of your flocks Give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever. Know what's going on with your flock. Know what's going on with your finances. You know, the reason we all need this message is because gradually, if we're not careful, we won't know what's going on. And we buy into the lie that says the secret to a successful life is a satisfying career. May I tell you something? 
that lie has ruined many, many families. You work 60 hours a week. You travel extensively and you're away from your family. Your biggest stress in your life is your boss. Your biggest thrill is a sale, closing the deal, instead of that picture that your third grader made for you at school and brought home to you. And without realizing it, things get out of kilter. And we learn the hard way that it's not about the paycheck or the position. It doesn't satisfy why we're really here. There are times when I I wish we didn't place so much emphasis on our occupation. But we do, all of us do. When the first thing we do when we meet somebody, what do you do? And what we mean by that is not their spare time, not their hobbies. What's your job? It becomes our identity. Sometimes even more than our identity in families and even in the family of God. It was Augustine who said to God, our hearts are restless until we find rest in you. Our hearts are restless until we find rest in you. But it seems to me in today's culture that we're more into feeling better than we are into finding God. Our quest for position and possessions is a strong pull. And it just takes over. Eventually the Christian who's been faithful, the Christian who does the work and the will of the Lord, will be rewarded. Two more Proverbs and we'll close. Proverbs twelve fourteen, From the fruit of their lips, people are filled with good things and the work of their hands brings them reward. And then chapter 13, verse 21, Trouble pursues the sinner, but the righteous are rewarded with good things. Let's pray. Lord, I am thankful that you promised us a reward And God, help us to remember that it's not all about our jobs. It's so easy to get fixated on our jobs, and we confess that. And we do spend so much of our lives at work, so many of our best hours of every day. But God, the next time we complain about work, will you remind us of the work that your Son did for us on the cross? His perfect work. And remind us that a bad day at work certainly doesn't compare with His perfect work that He did at Calvary. May we never forget that. Help us to be filled with You. It's through Christ we pray. And amen. If you've never received the gift of salvation, we offer the invitation for you to confess that you believe Jesus is the Son of God. Repent of your sins. Allow Him to make you a new creation as He washes your sins away in baptism. And as you come up out of that water a new life, He gives you His Holy Spirit so that you are sealed until the day He comes to take you home. Or if we can pray for you in any way, once you come as we stand and sing to encourage.